Hello, everybody, and welcome to the J Notes Blast podcast. I am your host, Jared Woodcox of thejnotes.com. Uh, formerly, this show was known as the Three Point Threat Podcast. I'm really excited to be back on the mic with you guys, back on the air. Um, I know it's been a little bit of a break. I've been gone for a while, guys, as far as not doing the show, and really looking forward to getting things back up and running. Appreciate if you're a first-time listener or if you tune into the former Three Point Threat show, I'm glad to have you guys with me. Um, just a, a little bit of quick background. For those of you who listened to the show before, you'll know that I follow a pretty simple format. really like to go through three points um, about the Utah Jazz and NBA as a whole. I'm still going to be sticking to that, even with the new podcast name here uh, that we wanted to line up better with the jnotes.com. But yeah, each show I'll be going over three points. And obviously, you know, there's a ton that has happened this summer. It's been such a busy summer in the NBA and for the Utah Jazz. Um, and so there's there's several things that I could talk about. And we're going to get there. Obviously, we have a lot of time between now and the start of the NBA season. Um, it, it can't come any faster in my mind. I'm really looking forward to it. But expect a lot of good content in the coming weeks and months. Um, but today, there's definitely three points I really want to focus in on, and they're all having to do with Utah Jazz. Really what I'm going to be doing today is focusing on the new players the Jazz have. For point one, I'll be diving in and talking all about Mike Conley. Uh, for point two, I'll be focusing strictly on Boyan Bogdanovich. And then for point three, I'll talk about the rest of the signings um, in a little bit more brief fashion. Obviously, Conley and Boyan were the two biggest splashes the Jazz made this summer, but want to talk about everyone as well. So anyway, I'm really excited to be back on the show. Um, you know, glad to be getting things kicked off once again. Excited to have you guys back listening to me. Um, let's go ahead and jump right in uh, to point number one. Point one. Okay, so as I mentioned, you know, first thing was planning to talk about today is Mike Conley, um, who the Utah Jazz traded for this offseason. Before doing so, let me just back up a little bit and uh, just again tell you guys how excited I am to be back on the air. Uh, I know it's been about a year now since the last Three Point Threat podcast, um, but I am excited to be getting the uh, the J Notes Blast podcast up and running. Hope that you'll continue to follow me and my fellow colleagues on the JNotes.com. We're putting out a lot of good content all summer log. We really pride ourselves during the summer to make sure that even though there's not as much basketball news going on, you guys still have a great place to follow and also want this podcast to be a good supplement for that. Um, so really the plan for, for moving forward is to be doing the podcast in this fashion. And I hope it'll continue to be a, you know, a reliable source for you guys, reliable news, and a, and a good listen. So have some cool plans down the road. Have some guests I'm planning to have back on and, and really looking to jump back in. So with that said, l- let's chat about Mike Conley. I mean, you know, what a summer it's been for the Jazz. We know that you know, they had some, some real weaknesses they needed to address um, after getting spanked once again by the Houston Rockets. Um, and I think the Jazz did an excellent job of really attacking those needs that they had. And um, with that said, with some of the moves the Jazz made, you know, before we dive strictly into Mike Conley here, I feel like there's kind of two camps among Jazz fans. There, there's fans that think that, you know, the Jazz are going to be good, um, but still going to struggle to beat the top teams. There's others that think, you know, the Jazz are on track to be the best team in the league, kind of these two extremes. Maybe, maybe it's the pessimistic group and the optimistic group. And as is so often the case, I really think the answer is somewhere in between. Um, I really like what Tony Jones, the athletic, has stated multiple times, you know, mainly on Twitter is where I've seen it. Um, But he's mentioned, you know, that the Jazz are now a team that is able to compete with any other team in the West for a championship. Um, And, you know, does that make them the favorite? No, I don't think it does. Uh, Does that mean, you know, they're guaranteed to win a championship? Of course not. We all know there's not a guarantee like that. Um, But I will say that for the first time in over a decade, and maybe for being realistic with ourselves, probably two decades, um, you can say that the Jazz actually have a legitimate shot at winning the championship. Again, doesn't mean they're the the favorite or they're going to be a for sure number one seed or whatever you might think. Um, But the Jazz are going to be a great team next year and they have a shot to compete. 
Um, you know, that shot and that opportunity has opened for them as a result of two things. One of those was the disbanding of Golden State. And, you know, in a later episode, I'm really going to break down, you know, a lot of the changes made on other teams this summer. Uh, we'll save that for a later episode, though, as I said. Um, but, you know, with Kevin Durant leaving, with some of the injury concerns there, losing some of their vets and guys like, you know, Andre Godala and, and Sean Livingston, um, you know, the mighty Warriors have definitely fallen, which opens an opportunity for the Jazz and, and several other teams. That's why you see a lot of people going in, you know, really going for it this year, you could say. But then the second thing, and most importantly, you know, I, I think the biggest reason why the Jazz have a legitimate shot this summer is because they added Mike Conley. You know, if they had done nothing else that summer, that addition of Mike Conley really ramped them up to another level. And I can't wait to see what they're able to do with him. Uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm absolutely ecstatic about Mike Conley. Yeah, I'm not going to try to hold that back or hide that at all. I think a lot of people that may be underrating him or, or selling him short um, just haven't watched him enough. Um, it, it's really, to me, that's really the key of the Jazz's two biggest moves. You know, Conley and Boyan Vigdanovich, who I'll talk about in point two today. Um, it, it's really that, you know, if anyone is being a naysayer about those two, they probably haven't watched them enough because they're both just very underrated guys. And, and most importantly, they fill the needs the Jazz have had like a glove. They should fit absolutely perfectly with the Jazz. And that's why I'm so excited about them. So, you know, in regards to Conley, the first thing that stands out is, you know, simply put, he's going to be a significant upgrade over Ricky Rubio. Um, with that said, I feel like I need to step back a bit and, and just give Ricky Rubio some love, uh, give him some credit. I know those of you that have followed me, you know, in my writings over the past few years and whatnot, um, I've been probably tougher on Ricky Rubio than most um, just because it, it just didn't work. I think we can all see that, you know, there were some great moments Ricky had, especially in his first season with the Jazz. Um, you know, he really helped us in that series against the Oklahoma City Thunder. But all told, you know, the fit just wasn't quite there. Uh, but that said, you know, I, I love Ricky Rubio, the person. I love, you know, that he gave his all in Utah. And, and what's really the most heartbreaking is he wanted to stay with the Jazz, which is not something you see often. You know, a team in a market that so often it feels like players are beating down the door to leave. It was awesome to see that Ricky actually wanted to stay. And, and the fact that, you know, there just wasn't a way to feasibly make that work if we wanted to get better and become a championship team. Um, you know, it, it was sad to then have to part ways with Ricky. And, and really the fact of the matter is that the problem with Ricky, you know, certainly wasn't him as a person or a competitor. And, and it really wasn't even him as a player. It was just, as I already mentioned, it, it was just a poor fit. Um, there really was nothing we could do about, you know, the fact that he's a non-shooter, that teams were leaving him wide open and things along those lines. And, you know, if somehow the Jazz could have surrounded Ricky Rubio with three or four more dynamic shooters in the starting lineup, maybe things could have worked out. I mean, he has, like I said, a lot of great qualities. Um, but as far as with the, you know, the roster makeup of the, of the Jazz, it was too easy for teams to just suffocate Donovan Mitchell, leave Ricky wide open without having to worry about his offensive impact. And it, it just wasn't the right style for what he brings to the court. So, you know, I really wish Ricky well. He, he's in for a challenge in Phoenix that hopefully he's up to the task for. Um, but, you know, long story short, I'm just extremely thrilled to have Conley. And, and switching gears back to him, you know, he eliminates a ton of the problems the Jazz faced with Ricky Rubio. I think a quick look at the numbers really helps illustrate that. Uh, one of those is that Conley is a career 37.5% three-point shooter. Um, compare that to Rubio's career mark, which is just 32.2%. And not to mention, Rubio is also coming off a season where he shot only 31.1%, which was a really disappointing thing to see, especially after the progress he showed as a perimeter shooter um, in, the, in the previous season. Um, what's perhaps most exciting about Conley is that he's super effective in catch-and-shoot opportunities where he's going to be used a ton in Quinn Snyder's offense. Um, you know, last season, his effective field goal percentage on catch-and-shoots was 59.5%. 
and then it was 39.8% specifically um, with catch and shoots from the three-point line. Um, to go along with that, Conley also shot 43.3% on wide open threes, which as we all know, the Jazz offense creates a ton of those. So in other words, instead of having Rubio, you know, coming up for these wide open shots or being left alone and you not having much confidence confidence they're going to go in, you're going to have Mitchell able to kick the ball out to Conley for a catch and shoot for wide open threes where he has shown the ability to really excel in those areas. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out, I just gave you those Conley numbers. Compare those catch and shoot numbers to Rubio this past season. His effective field goal percentage was 49.2%, uh, over 10% lower uh, than Conley's. He was 33.7% catch and shoot from three, which is about 6% lower than Conley's. And then on wide open threes, he was only 33.8%, which again is about 10% lower than, than Conley. And that's a significant figure. Um, you know, not, not only on just the pure amount of volume and scoring that Conley can bring, but just the amount of attention he's going to command when the ball is in his hands and when the Jazz have the ball. And really, in a nutshell, that's one of the biggest things the Jazz are going to benefit from is that, you know, they're not going to have to worry anymore about teams completely sagging off Conley. Or maybe better put, opposing teams are not going to be able to do that. They're going to have to guard Conley much more than they did with Rubio. There was this really cool image I saw on Twitter. Uh, I don't remember exactly who put it up, but it was one of the mainstays on Jazz Twitter. And essentially, it had a picture of the amount of space, the amount of space Donovan Mitchell had in the series against Houston where he was absolutely crowded by three or four defenders all focused on him. And then you'd see Ricky Rubio in the corner or Jay Crowder in the corner with just tons of space. No one really paying them much attention. And then it was showing images um, with, you know, how close defenders had to be to Bogdanovich and how close, uh, you know, defenders had to be to Mike Conley. And just the amount of room and the amount of freedom that Mitchell will, excuse me, that Mitchell will now enjoy in this offense is going to be absolutely superb. Um, outside of just the numbers along those lines, you know, Conley, as I said, he's not only does he command more respect um, from the opposing defenses, but he can break down that defense and he can get his own shot. He's the kind of guy that can get into the paint, he can get to the rim, and, and it's going to be really awesome to see that dynamic between him and Donovan Mitchell. On the defensive end, you know, uh, Conley has been on the NBL defensive team before, which is really great to see. Uh, Rubio was an interesting case on defense to me because he definitely had some defensive skills, but he just wasn't a lockdown guy that was going to, you know, put fear into the hearts of opposing opposing players. And maybe Conley won't ever, but Conley has done a great job against opposing point guards. You know, Damian Lillard is one that comes to mind that Jazz have struggled with that Mike Conley has done really well against. So I think there's a lot of things we can see where Conley is going to be absolutely superb on that end of the floor as well. And, and especially... You know, the thing we need to remember with, uh, with with Conley is that just like Mitchell, Conley has never played with a backcourt uh, teammate that's as dynamic as him. So Conley is used to being in sort of a similar situation, especially last season, where he's been one of the focal points for the opposing team, especially, you know, in the backcourt. Now Conley is also going to benefit from having someone else in Donovan Mitchell who demands a lot of attention. Um, it's going to be really hard to play against that Jazz backcourt where in the past both Mitchell and Conley have been used to you know, not having as much help um, from their guard teammates. So that's going to be really awesome to see. Um, really the last comparison I want to bring up with Conley and, and Ricky Rubio is you know, Conley had more assists than Rubio last season. Um, I know Rubio is known as an assist man, and he saw those go down quite a bit in Utah, uh, partially because of Quinn Snyder's system being a more share-the-ball-type system. Um, so maybe that's not the best measurement, and who knows? Maybe we'll see Conley's assists go down this year too. Uh, but my point is I do think Conley can definitely be a great assist man, and, and especially with all the weapons the Jazz have now, we could see Conley do great as far as sharing the ball and getting those dimes. The other thing that's nice about Conley too is that he has got to the he's got to the line, excuse me, a lot more the past few seasons than Rubio has, and that's something that Jazz have needed as well—a point guard that can get in there, that can attack—and it's going to be awesome to see him do that to his, his full capability. Um, I find it funny that you know. 
there's a lot of jazz fans, not a lot, there, there's been a portion of jazz fans um, that have been a little bit critical of, of Mike Conley not being an all-star. Um, but first thing I'll say to that is, look, this guy is as close to an all-star as he could possibly be. Um, by all counts, he is an all-star talent. He, he really should have an all-star accolade under his belt. But even though he doesn't, and even if you want to say there's reasons why he doesn't, um, it's pretty ironic for Jazz fans to be criticizing him for that, considering that they should know firsthand how hard it is for a small market team like Utah or Memphis um, to get an all-star. I mean, we look at Rudy Gobert the past two seasons, and there's a very strong argument to be had that he was absolutely snubbed. And, and you're looking at a Jazz team that, and you know, their current roster doesn't have any all-stars on the entire team. So to be, you know, doubting Conley or doubting the impact he's going to have because of that is ludicrous. We're really getting an all-star caliber guy here. And I know that there's concerns maybe about his age, maybe about his health, uh, you know, different things along those lines. Um, and you know me, those of you that have listened to the podcast in the past and read my articles, you know I tend to be cautiously optimistic when it comes to things with the Jazz, and I'm definitely still trying to maintain that. But I'm very, very optimistic about Conley, and I think this fit is going to be superb for the reasons I've mentioned, um, the fact that he's a great talent, he's never played with a backcourt running mate as good as Donovan Mitchell, um, the fact that he can play hard defense, he can hit these shots he's going to have, you know, great catch-and-shoot opportunities, great wide-open threes. Um, Con is going to be awesome, you guys. I, I, I can almost promise it's going to be a great fit. So those are my thoughts on Mike Conley in a nutshell. You know, big upgrade from Rubio. Going to be awesome alongside Mitchell. Let's jump down to point number two and, and talk on the other biggest uh, jazz acquisition this summer, Boyan Bogdanovich. Point two. Okay, so for those of you who, you know, have followed me in the past, uh, you'll know obviously the Utah Jazz are my first and foremost number one team. You know, no question about it. Um, but my second favorite team definitely is the Indiana Pacers, and, and I follow them very religiously as well. So I've been a big fan of Boyan Bogdanovich the past two years. And, you know, there's, I'll admit there's a little part of me that's sad that the Pacers lost out on him because he was a great fit there. Uh, but that's completely covered up by the fact that I am absolutely ecstatic that Jazz are getting him. And I know I mentioned this already with Conley, but, but really the truth, once again is that people that are being naysayers or, or being a little bit negative on Bogdanovich, I'm going to guess just haven't watched him enough because once again, this is a guy that's going to fit the Jazz system extremely well. He brings a lot of, you know, that, that it's kind of cliche to say, but that Jazz DNA that we love to see, you know, Bogdanovich really has that, and, and I'm, I'm thrilled to see what he's going to do with the Jazz. Those of you that have been following my writing lately have probably noticed that I've said a lot about him. I've talked about how Jazz fans are going to love him, how he's going to be a great fit, how he really fills, you know, a shooting void that Jazz haven't had. But he does a lot more than that. So, so let me also dive into, you know, just Bogdanovich as a whole. And first thing I'll say is that, you know, prior to the Conley trade, I remember, you know, there were some people that thought, hey, maybe Bogdanovich could be, you know, the Jazz's free agent splash. And I love that idea, but but if he would have been, you know, the only or, or the main big free agent the Jazz would have landed, um, I might have had some skepticism. And that's not to be a knock on Bogdanovich. Obviously, I've just told you how much I love the guy. But um, with just him and Mitchell being, you know, option one and option two on scoring, I wasn't quite sure that would take the Jazz to the next level they were looking for. Uh, but then enter that Conley trade. As soon as the Jazz got Mike Conley, all of a sudden it made a ton of sense to add a guy like Bogdanovich, um, who obviously is a knockdown three-point shooter, um, can... can Really, he's he's capable of being you know a leading a leading scoring option. He proved that last season. But instead, he's actually going to be Utah's third scorer. Again, we're talking about a guy who he just led a Pacers team um, into the playoffs. He he led them in scoring after Oladipo went down with injury, and now he's going to be their their number one guy. That that that's impressive. And the reason why Conley really changed things for me there is because you know Conley is going to be now the number two offensive option uh, behind Donovan Mitchell. He can be a primary ball handler. He's a guy that can attack the paint at will. And Bogdanovich does some of that. 
Um, but I think we can all agree that, you know, that, that two-headed combination of, of Mitchell and Bogdanovich just doesn't hold a candle to now what Conley, Mitchell, and Bogdanovich are going to be able to do together. Um, and, and the fact that we're calling Bogdanovich a third option, I mean, really that's not fair to him because <laughs> while that may be the case in Utah, he, he's better than any typical third option that you would see in, in most circumstances. Um, you know, one quick thing about him that's, that's impressive as all get out is he shot 42.5% from the three-point line in the regular season last year and just shy of 50% from the field. I mean, that's, that's amazing efficiency. The guy knows how to score. He knows how to get into his spots. And the nice thing is he's going to have a ton of open opportunities to do so. Um, along those lines, diving a little bit deeper into those numbers, um, his effective field goal percentage on catch and shoots, again, which is a very common shot that Jazz create, um, he was 66.9 effective field goal percentage, um, which is absurd. 44.9% um, from three on catch and shoots, and then 45.8% on wide open threes. I mean, those numbers are also good. I, I, was, I was bragging about Conley just barely, but even those numbers put Mike Conley to shame. Um, simply put, Bogdanovich is just a sharp shooter, and again, with him being the third option, um, with him having tons of wide open looks in Quinn Snyder's system, he's just going to be deadly. And, and like I said, with him being that number three option, it's just going to give opposing teams, you know, a headache trying to figure out how to defend. Before it was okay, let's you know, let's swarm Mitchell, and we'll live with what the other guys, you know, get away with. Um, you know, maybe Crowder has a hot night and then the team, you know, the opposing team loses because of that. Or maybe Royce O'Neal has a good night. But now uh, defenses are not going to be able to sag off. That They can't just focus on Mitchell and live with the other results because if they try to do that, Conley and McDonavich are going to just kill them. So now Mitchell's going to have more space to operate. Um, and if they do try to, you know, stop Mitchell or stop Conley, you're going to have Bogdanovich wide open as well as other players that I'm not even really touching on right now. Um, but just simply put, I think Jazz fans are going to love what he brings there and, and his shooting is going to be awesome for this offense. I have heard a little bit of concern about Bogdanovich and how he performed in the playoffs last season. Um, you know, the Pacers were obviously swept in the first round to the Boston Celtics that, that weren't really uh, that great of a team, all told, um, when everything was said and done. And I'll just go back to what I've been saying. You know, I, I think that the, some of the criticism that Bogdanovich has received for that is a little bit unfair. Um, obviously, he was really the lone, re reliable offensive option on a Pacers team that really struggled on offense without Victor Oladipo. Um, so that made it really easy for teams to game plan against uh, the Pacers and Bogdanovich. Um, but again, this next season, it's going to be more of a pick-your-poison kind of approach because if you game plan for Bogdanovich, you have Mitchell and Conley that can kill you. If you game plan for Mitchell, again, you have Bogdanovich and Conley that can kill you. So really, um, with, with Bogey being that third scoring option and not being the sole source of offense for a team, um, I don't think Jazz fans need to worry about him in the playoffs or in any sort of situation like that at all. Um, really, they're just equipped to make opposing teams pay with all the weapons that they have. The other concern that I've heard about Bogdanovich is, is his defense. And um, I can see that there's definitely to some degree there's some validity to this um, and that he's not going to be an absolute lockdown defender. Um, however, he is much better on that end of the floor than he's given credit for. And, you know, I, I point to a lot of people that are unfamiliar with the Jazz. You know, a lot of people would, would say that Joe Ingles is not that great of a defender. If you remember, you know, Colin Cowherd said he couldn't uh, guard a bar stool at one point. And so, you know, there's been kind of this uh, this sentiment around Ingles that he's not that great of a defender. But Jazz fans who have watched the Jazz and understand what they're, what they're really watching, they know that Ingles has actually been a solid defender. Now, I don't think Bogdanovich is quite up there with Ingles, um, but I also think he's a lot closer than people think. And my main point is that just as Ingles has been underrated, I definitely think that, um, that Bogdanovich has been very much underrated as well. And for one thing, you never have to worry about his focus or his effort on defense. And that's one of my favorite things about Bogdanovich as a whole is that, you know, even if he has shortcomings, 
Um, you're never going to fault a guy because he always gives 100%. He's always working hard. He's always looking to improve. And, and defense is no difference. You know, he doesn't give up. He, he doesn't back down. And two years ago when the Pacers played the Cavaliers in the first round, that, that awesome series that went to seven games and, and the Cavs just barely made it past them. Um, Bogdanovich did as good against LeBron James as anyone can expect to. Uh, of course, people are going to say, oh, he didn't He didn't stop LeBron. He didn't slow down LeBron. Well, well, to that I say, well, who does? You know, nobody really stops or slows down LeBron, but there are people that, that do a good job against him, make him inefficient, you know, give him a little bit of a hard time, make him work for his shots. And if you go back and watch highlights and, and some of the things in that series, Bogdanovich did as good as anyone could expect to. He really did well against LeBron James. I think people forget that Bogdanovich is six foot eight, 216 pounds. He has more size than people realize, so he can body up on guys he can give them a hard time and, and I honestly think he's actually a little bit better against bigger guys um, than really athletic small forwards um, because Bogdanovich doesn't have the best quickness sometimes those guys you know give him a little bit of trouble but that's also a weakness we've seen with Ingles that he's really been able to mitigate as he's improved his footwork he's improved his decision making and I really think we should expect the same with Bogdanovich um, on one hand when Dennis Lindsay you know introduced Boyan, one of the things he mentioned was that, you know, when you play for the Jazz, defense is non-negotiable, and Boyan knows that. He's bought into that. And I think, you know, not only is he going to buy into that, but the foundation is already there for him to be a good defender because he's shown it. And I think in the Jazz system, that's only going to improve. And again, I'm not saying he's not good already because I really think he is a much better defender than he gets credit for. Um, but just throw in the fact that he's going to be in a system that focuses on defense, um, throw in that the Jazz have a track record for improving players on defense. And I think we're going to see a lot of good things from him. One nice little statistic about Bogdanovich that might help some doubting Jazz fans feel a little bit better is that um, two seasons ago, of all the Pacers players that appeared in at least 24 games, there were a couple outliers there, but you know, of all those Pacers that played the majority of the season, Bogdanovich had the team's second best defensive rating behind only Victor Oladipo, who was all NBA defensive team that year. So that's a great nod and a great example of what he can do. And so really my point with that is that he should improve and he definitely has the, the work ethic to, to improve on that end. And, you know, even if he even if he didn't, you know, even if he doesn't get any better on defense than he already is, you look at last season and, you know, the Jazz put out some of their best lineups when Kyle Korver was on the floor merely as a floor spacer. And, you know, Boyan is a, a much better player than Korver at this point of his career for sure, um, probably, you know, in general as well. And um, not only that, he's more functional and he's a better defender than Korver. And my point with this is if the Jazz can cover up Korver's, you know, defensive deficiencies, they're going to have no problem with Boyan because, like I said, Boyan is a better defender. So covering that up should be, you know, no challenge whatsoever. Last thing I'll say about Boyan, and one of the reasons I'm really excited the Jazz have brought him on board, is that he's just an all-around winner. Um, he's a guy that is no-nonsense. He wants to go out and go to work. Um, he, he's a little bit more reserved and quiet than I think we've seen with some Jazz guys. You know, the Jazz are a pretty, you know, outgoing and funny team. Um, but Boganovich really has, you know, this reserved, quiet sense of humor. But, but he's a great guy. He fit in the locker room extremely well in Indiana. And I really believe he's going to as well with the Jazz. Um, recently, um, Scott Agnes of The Athletic, who covers the Pacers for The Athletic, um, he sat down on The Zone uh, in an interview there and talked about Bogdanovich. And one of the things he really touched on was that, you know, Bogdanovich is a guy that never wants to miss a game. He never wants to miss a practice. And, I mean, he's proved that. He played 81 games last season, 80 the year before that, and then 81 again the year before that. So that means he's missed only four games in the past three seasons, which is incredible. And some of those, maybe even all of them, you know, he got asked to sit out. It wasn't that he wanted to, but he reluctantly was asked to sit out. So he's very durable. He's going to show up and go to work. He has that kind of old school mentality about the game that I think Jazz fans are going to 
absolutely love. And so every single sign about Bogdanovich from, you know, the shooting void that he fills, um, the underrated defender that he is, to just the, the character and the style of game that he has, it should fit what, you know, Jazz fans want and are looking for to a T. So if anybody out there is still doubting Bogdanovich or is not that excited about the signing, I'm honestly going to give you till November 30th. And I bet you by that point, you're going to be thrilled and excited to have him on your team because I just know he's going to be an awesome piece. So with that said, let's wrap up. I'll talk about the rest of the guys that the Jazz have added this summer. Point three. Okay, so we've talked about the two biggest splashes the Jazz added um, in Mike Conley and Boyan Bogdanovich, and those are the two that are really going to move the needle for the Jazz. Um, but outside of those guys, you know, they did extremely well with the rest of the guys that they, they used to round out their roster. And first and foremost, they were able to add Ed Davis with the, with the room exception there. And let me be, you know, really straightforward with you guys. Um, Ed Davis is not as good of a player as Derek Favors. I think we all know that. And, and really, that's, to me, the hardest part of the summer is the fact that we had to part ways with Derek Favors. Not only was he the longest tenured jazz man and all-around professional and, and just a great piece of this team, but he, he brought more uh, to the jazz than I think a lot of people realized. And he will be missed. He's going to be missed, you know, maybe especially defensively, but I think in a lot of other ways as well. Uh, Favors' presence in, in the locker room and on the court is going to be missed. Um, but that said, you know, with Ed Davis, you know, we're not just looking at, okay, is, is Ed Davis better than Favors? Because we know the answer to that is no. But what we have to look at is, okay, is the aggregate of, of Ed Davis and Boyan Bogdanovich, are those two together better than what we got with Favors? And, you know, honestly, I, I very much believe so. There's a lot of argument to be had that Boyan all by himself is better than, than Derek Favors. And then when you have Boyan and Ed Davis together, I think it becomes, you know, undisputably the case that the, that the Jazz are better off with those two. And a big reason why I say that is, you know, we've already talked about all that Boyan brings, but just focusing on Davis, you know, he's still a very good player. And I think the best thing about what he brings is that, you know, he gives you about 75% of what Favors can do, but at only 25% of the cost. So really, it's a, he's going to be very, you know, he's a very price, or excuse me, a very cost-efficient guy, uh, and that he's going to help patch up some of those things that Favors did without us having to, you know, spend a ton like we were spending on Favors for him. Um, the thing that I like about Davis is that, you know, he's a great energy guy, brings a ton of energy off the bench. He plays extremely hard defense. He's not as good in the pick and roll as Faves, um, but he is a nine-year vet that knows what he's doing out there, and so he knows how to score what when needed. Um, but, but again, Davis is not a big-time scorer, and Jazz fans need to not expect that out of him. You know, he's really going to be the backup center to Rudy Gobert. He's going to, you know, protect the rim. He's going to bring in hustle minutes, energy minutes, and he's going to rebound. And that's probably my favorite thing about Davis is he is an absolutely exceptional rebounder. Uh, for a little bit of context, you know, last season he averaged just 17.9 minutes a game. And in those 17.9 minutes, he grabbed 8.6 rebounds per contest, which is almost two rebounds a minute. Um, that's insane. I mean, that just speaks to his motor and to his hustle. Um, another nice thing about those 8.6 rebounds per game that he grabbed is about three of those were on the offensive end. Um, if we look at his per 36 numbers, um, he grabbed 17.3 rebounds per 36 minutes, which is seriously mind-blowing. That's a really great figure. And 5.4 of those were offensive rebounds again. If we compare that to Derek Favors, so again, I just told you Ed Davis had 17.3 rebounds per 36 minutes. Favors per 36 was only 11.4, um, which is not a bad mark by any stretch of the imagination, um, but 7.3 is just astounding. And so, you know, what I really, what this really makes me think about is if you recall, you know, especially in the Oklahoma City series of, um, you know, two seasons ago, but again, against the Houston Rockets as well, there were a lot of times when Derek Favors would just pull down these monster offensive rebounds that were just huge momentum shifters and made a huge difference in the game. Well, I think we can definitely count on Davis doing that as well, because offensive rebounds have definitely been his bread and butter. So... 
In short, with Davis, no, he's not a good, as good of a scorer as Derek Favors, but as a true backup to Gobert, his minutes and his usage will make a lot more sense than Favors did at his price. So it's going to be awesome to see what he can do. The next you know, biggest uh, guy the Jazz added was Jeff Green. And honestly, I'm low-key really excited about Jeff Green. Um, he's taken some criticism at times throughout his career for a variety of reasons, be it inconsistency or inefficiency or what have you. Uh, but at the end of the day, he knows his role and he can play it well. I believe he's going to log a lot of the time at the four spot. Um, you know, we could kind of see him in a former Jay Crowder role, whether that means he starts or whether he comes off the bench. I'm not going to get into that a ton today because I do plan to talk about Jazz lineups in an upcoming show. Um, but like I said, I do think that Jeff Green is going to be in that Jay Crowder role quite a bit. Um, I think people might not know this, but Jeff Green is actually six foot nine, 235 pounds. I mean, he's a pretty big body out there. Um, he's a bit more athletic than Jay Crowder, um, so I think that could help him be a more versatile defender. And even though he's not a knockdown three-point shooter, he's still a threat that will command attention on that end of the floor. So really excited to see what he can do in that regard. And more than anything, I mean, he's a solid vet that should be able to help the Jazz at his position, especially on a minimum contract. It's a steal of a deal. Um, a lot of the reports were saying that he wanted to come play for the Jazz uh, due largely to his relationship with Mike Conley, um, which is a great thing to see and a great thing to hear. And I think we're really going to see that, you know, between Green's playoff experience, his versatility on both ends of the floor, um, his ability to be a great team defender within Utah's system, I think he's going to be a fun and a good fit. Uh, the next guy is Emmanuel Moutier, who, you know, he's honestly a bit of a reclamation project for the Jazz. Um, there were a lot of high hopes for, for Moutier when he was drafted. He was a lottery pick for the Denver Nuggets, and he just hasn't been able to live up to that. You know, he's had problems with turnovers, um, with being a little bit out of control with the ball in his hands. Obviously, though, his biggest issue has been his efficiency. He's not been good at shooting the ball. Um, however, last season in New York, he did improve his shooting percentages, you know, pretty significantly. That They still weren't great, but they were definitely a good jump in the right direction. And he also put up 14.8 points a game, um, which, yes, that was a very, very uh, bad New York team, to, to put it lightly. Um, but still, to be able to score at that level um, against NBA competition is still a good sign. Um, along those lines, he's also just 23 years old. He has the length and athleticism to potentially be a weapon for the Jazz on both ends if he can lock in and focus and improve. And, you know, last of all, I mean, really the Jazz got him extremely cheap. Um, obviously, they signed him for a minimum contract. Um, as I said, he was a former lottery pick. And, hey, you know, he, he was drafted by the Nuggets, and we know how, you know, Nuggets picks traded to the Jazz have turned out. Uh, so maybe this former Nugget signed by the Jazz in free agency will, will go the same route as we've seen, um, you know, uh, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Um, but to me, Moutier represents, you know, a low-risk, high-reward um, kind of talent for the Jazz. He has a sky-high potential. If he doesn't live up to it, well, you know, he, he sits on the end of the bench and he's not costing us hardly anything. But if he can, you know, really improve and really break out in the way that he was projected to when he was drafted in the lottery, this could be an absolute steal for the Jazz. To me, the thing that makes me the most excited about Moutier is that, you know, as several reports indicated, him and his agent came to the Jazz saying, hey, we want to play here. We want to sign here. Um, Moutier wanted to come to the Jazz so that he could develop. You know, that reputation the Jazz have built is a great development program. Moutier wanted to be a part of that. You know, and, and maybe some of it's selfish. Maybe he just wants to salvage his career. He knows he's not in a great spot. And maybe he only sees this as a one-year stay. I mean, it is just a one-year contract. But at the end of the day, what it tells me is that he's not worried about the market size. He's not worried about, um, you know, having to be in the starting lineup or anything selfish. 
He's here to work and he's here to get better. And that's exactly what the Jazz needs out of him. So I'm excited to see what he can do. I don't really have a good feel for how many minutes he's going to play. A lot of it probably depends on whether Exum is healthy or not. If Exum's unhealthy, I mean, Moody could really be the backup point guard and put in a lot of time. If Exum is healthy and is, is thriving, as we hope he will be, you know, Moody is going to be more of maybe that netto role or maybe a little bit of backup sh uh, shooting guard. Uh, but we may not see him a ton. But either way, it, it, we do know that he's going to be potentially an exciting addition for the Jazz. And again, a very uh, low risk, high reward pick pickup. I mean, so last of all, um, you know, I recently wrote an article about some of the potential diamonds in the rough the Jazz have added. So I won't spend a ton of time diving into each of them. But you know, there's Nigel Williams, Goss, uh, Mieoni, William Howard, and Stanton Kidd. Um, and and really, each of them have some things I'm excited about. I mean, I think Williams, Goss, the fact that Jazz has kept in touch with him and that he's improved so much overseas is obviously a good sign. Um, I think Oni showed a lot in summer league, and it's pretty cool that he was the lowest of the three second round picks the Jazz got. Yet he's the one with a guaranteed contract, has good size for a guard, seems to know, um, you know, have a good feel, I guess I should say, for the NBA game and know how to contribute out there. Uh, William Howard, I'm not going to lie to you guys, I don't know really anything about him other than the few things I've read since the Jazz signed him, um, but looks like he could be a great stretch for threat. Um, he has some size, he has some athleticism, so excited there. And then Stanton Kidd, I actually, um, you know, as a, as I've, I'm a longtime Mountain West Conference basketball fan, so I remember watching Stanton Kidd with Colorado State, and there's a lot of things to like about him. I mean, he has a good three-point stroke, he's, he's a plus defender, um, him and Howard are more than likely going to be competing for that 15th and final roster spot, but each one of those guys are under-the-radar prospects. Obviously, the Jazz didn't have any really much money at all to play with after adding uh, Bogdanovich and Ed, and Ed, excuse me, and Ed Davis. Um, so each of these guys are, are nice little pickups, and, and we'll see how they pan out. So in all, just in conclusion, obviously it's been a great summer for the Jazz. They're exceptionally deep, and I, I can't wait to see what they can do. Um, I know this is getting ahead of myself, but honestly, I, I think we could see the best Jazz team that we've had uh, since the 1997-98 final squad. That's exactly what I'm looking forward to and excited about this upcoming season. So with that said, guys, I just want to uh, give you a little bit of a teaser of things that are to come. Uh, planning to do you know, a lot more episodes coming up this summer and, and into next season. I um, want to be talking about the Jazz's lineup, some of the different options they have there, some of the biggest surprises of the summer across the league. I'm going to be giving you my Eastern Conference and Western Conference predictions. And then I have lined up some great guests that are going to be on the show in a couple weeks to talk about Mike Conley. I um, have a Pacers expert on to talk about uh, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich. So it's going to be awesome. I hope you'll stay tuned. And uh, this is kind of a random thing, but I wanted to give a real quick plug before signing off. Um, two things this summer that have really, really stood out to me and been exciting about just being able to, you know, keep in the loop with basketball things while we're waiting for the season to start. One is, um, if you guys haven't been watching the big three, it is really, really fun. And Joe Johnson is on, you know, one of the best teams in the league. Unfortunately, they lost this weekend, but Joe Johnson has been awesome to watch. Him and Al Jefferson's team triplets are actually coming to Salt Lake City this upcoming Saturday. And again, this is, I'm not, I'm not getting a dime for this, guys. I just really, truly feel the need to share that Big Three's a ton of fun, and I hope we can make Salt Lake City look like an awesome town and, and people can show up. I'm going to be at that game um, on the 27th at Salt, in Salt Lake, uh, cheering on the triplets. I'm also a big fan of the Killer Bees. Um, they have uh, you know, a former Weber State player session on their team. And so it's going to be fun to watch those guys in action. The other thing is, I was a little bit of a late adopter. You know, I, I am a little bit maybe, uh, you know, hesitant to spend money on things. But I finally subscribed to The Athletic this summer, and it has honestly been a game changer. Um, I originally did it just so I could read Tony Jones um, that covers the Jazz, obviously, and Scott Agnes that covers the Pacers. But there are so many great authors on there. I found myself, I have, I think right now, 17 articles saved, and I usually read two of those and then save two more. I feel like I never get that list chopped down because there's just so much good content on there to read. So honestly, it, it really is worth the money if you guys want to subscribe to The 
Athletic. I actually also have like a referral link um, that can get you a discount if you're interested at all. So just reach out to me um, if you would like to sign up with The Athletic. I think it's a great way to be in the know. There's great news there about the NBA and other leagues. Highly recommend it. So I know that was a little bit of a tangent, but really those are my two big things this summer that have helped me have a good basketball summer. has been the big three and subscribing to The Athletic. So I recommend that for everybody. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. As I said, have some really fun episodes lined up ahead. Um, you know, if you guys have any questions or specific topics you want me to cover, feel free to hit me up um, either on my personal Twitter handle, which is at Jared Woodcox, or um, you can also go to at the J Notes. Check that one and run that one frequently as well. And be sure to continue to check out all of our written content as well at thejnotes.com. And until next show, guys, this is Jared Woodcox signing off.